Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more on a new phase of the journey, one to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King, to determine whether or not King deserves the reputation that he has for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast will be to examine the climax, the falling action, and the resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I'll also weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally, subjectively like the ending, and today I'm here to discuss the ending of Revival. Now before I get to the ending of Revival, I want to head back in time a little bit and talk about last week's episode in which I discussed the, um, the ending of Mr. Mercedes. So I still need your help, guys. Um, please write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com to share any thoughts that you have. If I am way off the mark, please tell me. I need some feedback here. Um, I don't know if I have as good a grasp on Mr. Mercedes as I should, or maybe I do. I don't know. And it's exactly what I see is, is what I get. But I do want your, your feedback and your thoughts on Mr. Mercedes. So please write in to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. And speaking of which, I have some listener emails here um, who have done just that, who have written in to Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. And up first, we have Chris, who writes, Constant Reader. Glad to hear a new episode this morning on one of my favorites, 112263. I realize it's become more difficult to regularly produce episodes on Stephen King as you've exhausted many angles to his work. I wanted to suggest perhaps a behind the scenes type episode where you discuss your process, your, pos- your podcasting journey, attempts to monetize, anecdotes from your experience interviewing folks, or any interactions with King himself, etc. For those of us who have listened to the entire show at least once, we'd enjoy. Um, some additional shading around the edges. Um, or perhaps you could take the listener's suggestions on various non-King fiction and use your same analytical style to break it down. Cheers, Chris. Um, Chris, um, yes, I will definitely do something like this, um, just like a, a, a my process and a retrospective. I will do that. That will come next year um, as I celebrate the 10th year anniversary of this particular podcast. I'll walk everyone through its inception um, and the, the, the state of Stephen King podcasts <laughs> at that time or lack thereof. Um, you know, and just and walk everyone through the journey and, and what I had to do and um, what it looks like. And yeah, I will. I would glad to do that. Um, and um, in terms of analyzing other works, um, I don't know. I mean, I still have to do Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill. Um, and if anything pops up, you know, like the, the likes of which, um, you know, I did with uh, the Pine Deep Trilogy by Jonathan Mayberry, may- maybe I'll do something like that. I don't have any plans for that. Like right now, I'll continue just sticking with, with Stephen King. But thank you for the idea to to kind of, you know, walk everyone through my process. I, I do appreciate that. And, and for anyone that has been listening for a long time, yeah, I, I would love to be able to, you know, let you in a little bit more. Okay. Uh, John writes, just an ep- just a note that I really enjoyed your analysis to the ending of 11-22-63 on your latest episode. Having been a King fan for years, this is an ending that truly sticks the landing. When the book first came out, I thought it eerily similar to the novel Replay by Ken Grimwood that came out in 1986. Like King's novel, it deals with time travel and a plan of altering the JFK assassination. 
While I'm not accusing J.F. Um, King of stealing the plot or even being influenced by the book, I think Replay is a great companion piece to 1122-63 and a fine novel in its own right. Find yourself a copy of the book if you can. Long days and pleasant nights, John B. John, thank you for writing it. I had no idea that the book existed. So I think that that's definitely something to, to think about. Um, if I have time, I would definitely seek out replay. Thank you for, for writing in. All right, so if anyone wants to write in, if you have read replay, if you have any uh, book suggestions, if you have any thoughts on the conclusion to 1122-63, the conclusion to revival that we're talking about today, or any of the other... Um, books that we have talked about, please write in to stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. All right, so talking about Revival here, before I get to the ending of Revival, let's talk about Revival itself. So I'm going to read uh, the Wikipedia summary so that we have a, a basis of understanding. Wikipedia, when Charles Jacobs, a new Methodist minister, comes to town, young Jamie Morton is excited. Almost everyone in the small town of Harlow, Maine, comes to love Jacobs, his beautiful wife, and their young son, Maury. Jacobs runs weekly ministry youth fellowship sessions for the town's children where he shares his interest in electricity and inventions with them. His wife plays music for them, and they play with Maury, although Jamie is clearly favored all over the other children by Jacobs. When Jamie's older brother Conrad, also known as Con, is injured in a skiing accident, leaving him unable to speak and causing distress in the family due to the costs of treatment, Jacobs asks Jamie to bring him over as he may be able to help. When Jamie and his older sister Claire do so, Jacobs places a low-voltage belt around Con's neck, and to everyone's amazement, Con is able to speak again almost immediately. Things change all too suddenly when Mrs. Jacobs and her child die in a gruesome auto accident. Stricken with grief, the Reverend denounces God and religion during a sermon and is banished from town. Jamie, devastated that Jacobs will be leaving, goes to see him before he leaves, where he thanks him for what he did for Khan, but Jacobs claims it was purely a placebo effect. Jamie grows up to become a musician and starts using heroin. When he was out on tour, his band abandons him at a hotel after he misses several of their concerts due to his addiction. He goes to a hotel reception to try to pay for another night at the hotel, but his card is maxed out. That night, he goes to a state fair in search of drugs, but finds Charles Jacobs performing an act in front of a large audience called Portraits of Lightning. Jacobs asks a young woman named Kathy Morse to volunteer for the act where she sits in a chair blindfolded while he takes her photograph and after a blue burst of light flashes all around the stage, a portrait of her appears on a plate. He then offers to do the same for anyone else for a small price. Jacobs immediately recognizes Jamie in the audience and Jamie soon passes out and wakes up in Jacobs' camper where he offers to treat Jamie's condition with a small application of electricity when he is well enough. After being treated, Jamie experiences strange side effects including sleepwalking and jabbing himself in the arm with shop objects while in a fugue state, as if trying to inject heroin. Jacobs is later assaulted by Kathy Morse's father after he claimed Jacobs' portrait caused her to try to steal a pair of diamond earrings from a jeweler, which led to her getting arrested. Before Jacobs leaves town again, he sends Jamie to a man called Hugh Yates who gives him a job in a recording music studio. Many years later, Yates calls Jamie into his office and they tell each other about their experiences of Jacob's treatments and the after effects of them. Yates had been cured of a disease many years before and had for a short time afterwards suffered blackouts and visions he called prismatics where he could see colors shifting back and forth and felt like he could see into another world shortly after being treated. Yates shows Jamie a poster on a website where Jacobs is performing revival tours using electricity. Although he's pretending to be a faith healer using the power of God to heal others, 
and they go to one of his tours, but Yates quickly leaves. When Jamie asks him what happened, he claimed he had a prismatic for the first time in a long time. When Jacobs was healing people, he saw the people there as giant ants. Jamie starts looking into the many others Jacobs has healed. As it turns out, many of them have experienced similar side effects, and some have even killed themselves and others as a result, including Kathy Morse, who recently took her own life. He later discovers that Jacobs has also been studying occult texts, such as the De Vermis Mysterious. Jamie tracks down Jacobs and goes to his house to confront him about his cures and tells them about the after effects the people he is healing have been experiencing. But to his surprise, Jacobs knows about them and has known all along, has been keeping track of them, but claims that only a small number of people have significant alter effects and that he is no longer healing people. Jacobs offers to make Jamie his assistant and pay him a lot more than Yates is paying him, but he refuses and leaves. Several years later, Jamie receives a letter from Jacobs, including a letter his childhood sweetheart Astrid had written to Jacobs, claiming she has terminal cancer. Jacobs agrees to heal her, but only if Jamie will become his personal assistant for one last experiment. Jamie reluctantly agrees, and Astrid is cured. Jamie helps Jacobs prepare for his final experiment. Jacobs has discovered something he terms secret electricity, an all-powerful energy source that he has been using to achieve his miraculous cures over the years. He now intends to harness the massive surge of this energy from a lightning rod and channel it into a terminally ill woman named Mary Fay, whom he has relocated to his lab. Jacobs plans to revive Mary Fay after her death, not in the conventional manner, but in the sense that she will be clinically dead and yet able to communicate with Jacob and tell him of the afterlife and what fate befell his wife and child after their death. The experiment works, but not in the way that Jacobs intends. The revived Mary Faye does become a doorway to the afterlife, but to the horror of both Jacobs and Jamie, there's no heaven and no reward for piety. Instead, the afterlife is revealed to be the Null, a hellish dimension of chaos, where souls of the deceased are tormented by ant creatures who serve insane Lovecraftian beings, the most powerful of which is known as Mother. It is, it is implied that humans are fed to the mother as she has a claw made of human faces. Mother inhabits the body of Mary Fay, transforming her into a grotesque monster and attempts to kill Jacobs. Mary shoots mother with Jacob's gun and she leaves Mary's body. Horrified, Jacobs has a fatal stroke and Jamie arranges his body to make it look like he shot Mary. Jamie flees the scene and relocates to Hawaii. Uh, later, many of the people cured by Jacobs go insane and kill themselves and others, including Hugh Yates and Astrid, who kills her partner and herself. Jamie, one of the few survivors of Jacobs' treatments, is relying heavily on antidepressants. He recounts his vision of the null to a psychiatrist who does not believe him. He acknowledges and takes some small comfort in the possibility that the visions were lies. However, the novel ends with Jamie going to visit his brother Khan, who had spent the last two years in a psychiatric hospital after attacking his partner which Jamie blames on Jacob's treatment of Khan's injury decades before. As Jamie goes to leave, he sees a door calling his name and realizes that one day he will die and have to face being trapped in the null under the yoke of the mother. So the ending, let's talk about the ending. Um, the ending will begin um, at the climax. So if the novel has been about Charlie Jacobs successfully or seeking, um, you know, the, the conclusion to his experiment, 
um, then that is the climax of this novel. Um, it's Charlie Jacobs successfully completing his final experiment. The falling action is um, the, the, the emergence of the, the mother, the realization of the mother, um, the, the, the possession of the body, it all going badly. And the resolution is Jamie dealing with the fallout of what had occurred while living with the fear of what exists after death. So criteria for a good ending, does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? So in terms of the characters, let's talk about Jamie. I'm sorry, let's talk about Charlie. He's not the main character, but he's the son around which Jamie, our main character's life orbits. The story is told on a combo of big, broad strokes of time, and with the specificity of each moment that anchors the reader in Jamie's experience with each step of his journey um, through his life as it intersects with Charlie. So it's important, as I had talked about at length in my full review of Revival, um, the influence of H.P. Lovecraft's works on this particular story is very apparent. So it's you kind of have to treat it as a not so much as a, a Stephen King book at times, but as a H.P. Lovecraft book, because like a Lovecraft character, Jamie isn't the most defined character that we've seen from a Stephen King um, story before, especially when you you know contextualize him, you know, with Stephen King's ability to bring the the, the smallest characters to to life, and like you feel like you really get to know each character um, intimately. You know, but the way that Jamie is written here, he's our proxy. You know, he is a vessel for us to be able to view the events of this this greater world and um, existence and, you know, puzzle the mysteries of this other character, Charlie Jacobs. You know, we, you know, the way that he's written here with him being that proxy, it really fits in the way in which Lovecraft had sketched out his characters. Um, and through his eyes, we witness unimaginable horrors. And like a Lovecraftian character, we have Charlie, who is our very own Herbert West, a character dabbling with forces ancient, unyielding, and indifferent, ones that will drive you mad if you seek out the truth from their secrets. So it very much fits in with the, um, the, uh, the endings that most H.P. Lovecraft characters, um, meet. So, um... As we saw with many of our characters um, peripherally throughout this book, it ends in madness. Madness after their consciousness has brushed upon something that they themselves um, cannot truly understand, that the human mind is not really been built to, um, you know, comprehend. So it leads people to madness and suicide. And this is the, the future that Jamie himself will most likely have to face. It is the, the just the the crumbling of the sanity in the face of cosmic horror. And so it is very appropriate for um, what King was doing here. Does it successfully uh, wrap up the plot? Specifically, did the events build upon one another with consistency? So this is interesting because it's not a real plot-driven book. It's these like little vignettes almost um, of, of the, the, the life that Jamie is living and how it intersects with Charlie Jacobs. It's, it's not really a plot-heavy book. It's more of a mood. 
all right? You know, and the, this, this oppressive Lovecraftian tone just permeates each page. So I would say it doesn't, I mean, yeah, technically it does wrap up the plot. We get to this moment where we have this Frankensteinian uh, doctor at this point, you know, resurrecting the dead. And, you know, so it's where the plot intersects with the tone uh, and to create a, a real mood. And, you know, um, it, you know, you're able to peek through this veil, you know, through this door into this other world of a life beyond death and the horrors that uh, await. So the entire, you know, book, you've been wondering what's going on with the electricity. You've been wondering what's going on with these ant people. So, you know, we, we're able to get to that ending um, where we, we, we see exactly what that's all about. Does the conclusion serve the theme, symbolisms, motifs? This is an ending that has stuck with me since I first read it just about a decade now. Honestly, I, I do think about it almost on a daily basis. Charlie gets what he wants. He sees what's through the door, and it's horrifying beyond belief. He's a man of faith completely crushed by an immersiveful God and a hellish existence beyond imagination. And what strikes me, again, and I had talked about this in the full review, when he lost his faith and he really began to go down this road of playing with these forces beyond his control and it was spurned by the, you know, him using, you know, the, the, the electricity which tempted fate and tempted the gods and, you know, he, he was punished for it, you know, through the, the loss of his, his wife and child and he's screaming, Why, where, is my, where is my son's face? The fact that that question is answered decades later when you know, the, the, the horror wearing his face comes through that door. It's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful resolution to the, the theme of him, what, what he gets when he um, turns his back on his God and starts to dive into these forces. And, you know, again, addiction is, is there and the, the perversion of the life that you live and seek out and the happiness that you want will be perverted through these addictions. This, this is what he gets. Um, what is the most famous scene in the novel and does it appear in the conclusion? I mean, it's hard to top the reveal of Mother. Um, it's a horrific horrific concept, a horrific idea. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's the most famous. This is a, a book with it being relatively new. It has not been adapted yet. I don't know if it has a very quote unquote famous scene, but I would say if there's one that pops, it's probably the, um, the, the, the reveal of mother. Um, are there other factors that we need to consider? Yeah, it hasn't been made into a movie yet. It was going to be made into a movie. Um, Mike Flanagan was going to take a stab at it. Someone else is going to take a stab at it, um, but it's it's fallen through. Um, it just doesn't look like it's going to get the treatment that it deserves based on on what we we've been hearing about it. So maybe if it's held up in who owns the rights right now or the studio or, or whatever, maybe it just needs to go dormant and fall into the the rights of someone else before we. Uh, we, uh, we, we get the movie that, that this deserves. Um, but with that said, with the book, with the book itself, do I like the ending? Yes, I do like the ending. And based on everything that we have talked about, it, this, is, this is a strong ending for a Stephen King novel as well, which takes me to liking 40 out of 47 endings and 39 out of 47 endings being objectively good. So um, let me know if you have any thoughts on the ending of Revival, if you have any thoughts on Revival itself, if you have any thoughts on Mr. Mercedes, I need a lot of help with that. Um, 
and you can just write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. All right, speaking of Mr. Mercedes, I'm going to be heading back into the world of Bill Hodges and Brady Hartfield uh, next week. Um, by reviewing um, Finders Keepers. So, um, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next week, where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.